Welcome to Trevecca Community Church's Sermon Podcast Series. Each week we'll be streaming our sermon from within the sanctuary just for you. Step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. John 13, 1 through 17. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already decided that Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, would betray Jesus. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from supper, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had reclined again, Jesus said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, slaves are not greater than their masters, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Why is it that sometimes the things that seem like they should be so easy are often the very hardest? Oh, Peter. I think about Peter and... Here, Peter is willing to do all the hard stuff. He left his dad behind. He left his fishing boat behind, his family, his livelihood. I mean, he's willing to do all of the hard stuff, but let Jesus wash his feet? That just sounds like it should be so simple. 
After everything else Peter has done, having his feet washed, that should be easy. We've already been through step one. We admitted that we were powerless over sin and that our lives had become unmanageable. We talked about being powerless and naming that, confessing our powerlessness. And last week we looked at step two, that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And we talked about uh, being restored to sanity and needing this power, coming to a place where we finally say that we need, we desire the work of God longing for the deep end of faith that God's calling us into. Today we get to step three. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Well, that's easy, right? I mean, that part should be easy. In fact, we talk about stuff like this in church circles all the time. Christians, we sometimes talk about this word surrender. Have you heard the word surrender We talk about this word surrender, and as Nazarenes, we talk about it a lot because it's really important to us. It's a part of the work of holiness and sanctification. We believe that God's grace at work in us frees us to surrender our will and our lives over to the care of God. So step three, that should be easy. I mean, really, really cakewalk for us, for Nazarenes, right? And as my friend Pastor Steve has reminded me, if you've got two frogs on a log and they both decide to turn their life over to God, how many frogs are still on the log? Two. They've just decided. They haven't done anything yet, right? Like this should be the easiest step to take. Surrender. Easy, right? (laughs) Monday morning. I told Tim that, you know, this is going to be a really big week. We've got a lot happening in the life of the church. I just need to get into the office a little bit early before anybody's around to just have a quiet space to get a jump on the week. And Tim said, hey, that's no problem. Uh, We can both get the kids ready. But, you know, he agreed, I'll get them to the bus stop. You can take off nice and early. So you get to the office before anybody on Monday morning, first thing. Said so thanks so much. So got up early that morning so I could still make the family breakfast help the kids get ready, remind them 15 times, check to make sure you have everything for school. Check to make sure you have everything for school. We've got it, mom. We've got it. Great. So Tim was going to get the kids to the bus and I jumped in the car and I start heading in to the office. I'm, I'm on the way feeling so good. I'm so on time. It is Monday morning. My kids have everything they need for school. I got up early. I'm on my way. I'm going to get a jump on the week. I'm just, I'm listening to my news podcast that I listen to on my morning commute. It's the early part of morning traffic, but that's okay. I am minutes away from Trevecca when suddenly my phone rings. And it's Tim letting me know that one of the kids left their backpack in the trunk of the car that I am driving. And my first response was, well, do they really need it? Like, is it that important? And as it turned out, they really did need it. It was that important. And so I said, okay, that's, that's fine. I'll just turn around here on Nolansville Road and I will head back 
all the way back to our neighborhood through morning traffic and then turn back around and make the same trip that I've already made at the peak of morning rush hour. That's fine. I will do that. And so I did turn my car around on Nolensville Road, which if you know, that's already like taking your life into your own hands. And start making my way back south towards our neighborhood. And, and as I've turned around, I'm still listening to my same news podcast I listen to every morning. And I am gripping the wheel. And suddenly I am gripping that wheel so hard. And in my arms, I feel the heat of a thousand suns. And I begin shaking and I begin talking back to the news podcaster who's talking to me over the podcast. And then suddenly I am like shouting in the car to nobody but this news podcaster who cannot hear me things like, don't they appreciate all that I do? It doesn't matter how much I sacrifice, how early I wake up, the fact that I make breakfast for them, nobody cares how much I sacrifice. Wait, oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna tell you, Jeff, that is probably feeding my ego way too much. <laughs> and we're gonna talk about that this morning because God has been working on my heart I, I am just shouting in the car, and I'm shouting things like, I told them to make sure they had everything ready for school, and they said, yes, Mom, we have everything ready for school. How could they have checked if the backpack was still in the trunk of the car? I mean, I am just enraged, ridiculously so, for something that was so small and insignificant. So I make it back to the school, and I'm trying to get back into the drop-off. I'm trying to get to the front of the school, and I pull my car in, and I don't want to go through the student drop-off line because I'm not dropping off a student. I'm dropping off their backpack. And the parking attendant says, no, I'm sorry. You can't do that. Cars are not allowed in this way. You have to get in the drop-off line. And if anybody has ever been through a school drop-off line, you know that this is the place where you lose your mind. And unfortunately for me, I had already lost it. And so I smile at the parking attendant and say, thank you so much for all you do to keep our kids safe. And I roll up the window and I grit my teeth, still smiling, because there's other parents and all the cars around me saying things like, this is the most inefficient system that has ever been devised by humanity. <laughs> I get to the school park the car, drop off the backpack, get back on Nolensville Road, heading back towards the church. And suddenly it occurred to me how ridiculous my anger was, like how out of control I was. And I just start talking to God the rest of that drive, like, Lord, why? Why do I still get like this? Why do I let the, my anger get the best of me and just lose it like this, Lord? Why? And I get into the church office. Of course, I'm not there before everyone else. So there's people there now, and I'm feeling like I'm already late and having to check all the things on my way in. I get into my office and sit down in my prayer chair and start reading about step three. I start reading about step three, the one that I thought was going to be so very easy. I didn't really know what more we needed to say about step three. 
This step of surrender, turning one's will and one's life over to the care of God as we understood God. And some might talk about this as renouncing the self or renouncing the flesh. And if you remember in week one when we looked at step one, we talked about the difference between the flesh and the spirit, right? And it's not just about physical versus spiritual, but the flesh represents the ego, the false self, that need for control that we have. And the spirit represents the self that is made in the image of God, true self, this surrendered self, right? And so this 12-step journey is a journey of admitting our, powerless over, our powerlessness over our flesh so that we can live life fully in the spirit. And so I'm sitting there now finally calming myself down, reading about renouncing the flesh, the ego, the false self, our need for control, and surrendering those parts of us over to the care of God when I read these words by Richard Rohr. Do you know the most common and, in fact, almost universal substitute for renouncing our will? I will call it the myth of heroic sacrifice. Someone already got there. (laughs) The common way of renouncing the self, while not really renouncing the self at all, is by being sacrificial. It looks so generous and loving, and sometimes it is, but usually it is still about me. Well, I did not like that one bit. I felt found out. I realized that I would prefer to sacrifice over surrender. You see, sacrifice can be measured. Sacrifice can be counted and measured. I can count how many times I clean up after someone or how many backpacks I deliver to the school. I can count how many people I help and how many sermons I write. I can measure all of that. And sometimes I can fool myself into thinking that my measurements look pretty good and I can compare myself to other people's measurements. But all of my efforts to sacrifice for others, it's still really about me. And I can do a lot of good and heroic things seeking superiority, admiration, and control. And guess what? At the end of the day, no matter how much I sacrifice, it will never be enough. Rohr describes that almost all codependents are great at sacrifice. If that's a term that's unfamiliar to you, that's a term in the recovery world that describes a person who has a really close relationship with an addict, who often out of love and care ends up enabling this person's behavior. And so both the addict and the codependent, they are trapped in addiction together. Codependents are often just as unhealthy and trapped in bondage as the addict, but because they sacrifice so much, it allows them to believe that they're stronger, that they have more willpower and great compassion, and that they never have to admit their own powerlessness and never surrender their own will. It sounds so easy. 
But it's actually really, really hard to surrender and to trust God to care for you. Especially when you get good at sacrifice, because if you're good at sacrifice, you care for other people. I mean, you, you care a lot. In fact, you care more for other people than a lot of other folks do. And, and really, even some people that are the most sacrificial can fool themselves into thinking they don't need anybody to care for them. Can you imagine that room with Jesus and his disciples as he's preparing to wash their feet? Here with his disciples, the ones Scripture tells us he was prepared to love and care for to the end. They probably thought that they loved Jesus too. And that they would do anything for him. That they would sacrifice anything for him. Well, except maybe Judas. (laughs) Judas is a great scapegoat. As long as you're a little better than Judas, (laughs) right? You certainly can't be the worst disciple in the bunch. I mean, Judas sells Jesus out. He betrays Jesus. As long as Judas is in the room, everybody else is looking okay. But then there's, there's Peter. And, and Peter's not like Judas. I mean, Peter would do anything. If anyone was surrendered to Jesus as Lord, it was Peter. Scripture tells us that knowing that God had put all things into his power, or another translation says, into Jesus' hands, Jesus is getting ready to use those hands that now have all power and authority. He's going to use those hands to wash the disciples' feet. And he takes off his outer cloak and he puts on a towel. This is God in vulnerable flesh with all authority in his hands, pouring a basin and washing the feet of the disciples. A task that needed to be done to care for them needed to be done for, to care for these disciples whom Jesus loved, but it's the task of a servant. Jesus tells them, you don't realize it now, but you'll understand later. Man, it's really hard to be asked to surrender your life and your will into the hands of God, knowing that you can only understand like in part right now. But your understanding is going to grow He's inviting them to place their feet into his hands, to surrender their will, to trust in God, to care for them as they understand God right now. And remember, God is wrapped in a towel, kneeling in front of them, getting ready to wash their feet. But they'll understand better later. Peter, who left behind everything, Peter, who later would try to take on the whole Roman guard when they came for Jesus to show how much he was willing to sacrifice for Jesus. Peter, who cut off the ear of a soldier. Peter, who would do anything for Jesus, won't let him do this one thing. Won't let Jesus simply and humbly wash his feet. Never, he says. I will never let you wash my feet. I will not let you care for me, not like that. Never, he says. 
it seems that Peter is happy to sacrifice but not ready to surrender. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. I think Jesus was saying, if you won't receive the grace that I am freely giving you, you can't do this on your own, Peter. You just can't do this on your own. You can't sacrifice enough. You can't willpower your way through this. Peter, I need you to trust me. If you think you are strong enough to do this on your own, it is not going to work. You're about to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter, just take the grace that I'm offering you. And what's Peter's response? <laughs> I love this. Peter says, okay, absolutely, okay, if you want to wash my feet, well, then not just my feet. Give me a bath, Jesus. Pour it all over. I'm going to sacrifice more than anybody. I'll show you if that's the way to earn your grace, then I'm all in. I mean, wash my head, my hands, my feet. Let's just dive into the pool right now, Jesus. I will sacrifice more than anybody else. And Jesus says, Peter, hey, Peter, you're doing it again. You're still trying to earn grace, Peter, and it doesn't work like that. You can't earn grace. You've already had a bath, Peter. Just your feet. Just simple grace. Rohr says, the ego will always prefer an economy of merit and sacrifice to an economy of grace and unearned love where we have no control. The first economy makes us feel heroic and worthy, while the second one makes us feel like mere fools for Christ. As long as we resist being a fool, step three is not easy at all. As long as we resist being a fool, step three is actually really, really hard. Like maybe harder than a camel going through the eye of a needle. I've been trying all week to figure out why I am still so much like Peter. Why am I still resisting turning my whole life and will over to the care of God, receiving the free grace of God that God offers? I still want to earn a gold star on God's sticker chart. Perhaps there are three reasons, maybe more. There's three that I thought of that we resist grace and probably different for each of us today. I think there might be three reasons. The first is because we just don't believe that we're worth it. We deep down, we don't want grace because we feel so unworthy and it just doesn't seem right to accept something like that. Even though, guess what? That's the whole point of grace. And so if that's you this morning, if, if you resi resist receiving the grace of God because you don't feel worthy, you might actually be in the place that's the most ready to receive it. Because you've already got this posture of humility, not trying to earn or prove your worthiness. But that's one of the reasons I think we sometimes resist grace. We don't feel worthy. But grace is not about being worthy. That's the whole point. 
The second thing I think that keeps us from receiving grace is, and sometimes we think we could, we could earn something better. Like, maybe, just maybe, if you, God, if you saw how much I'm willing to sacrifice, like, I, I, I really, I can do better than just, like, the baseline grace that everybody else gets. So there's got to be, like, a gold star membership somewhere, right? And after all, if we just receive free grace, well, then who's going to honor all of our sacrificing? Right? And the third and final thing I think that, that maybe if we're being really honest is probably the struggle for most of us. We don't want the same grace for everybody else. Like if I get to receive free grace and unearned love, that means everyone else gets it too. Like everyone else And it means that I can't get any more grace than anybody else. There is no gold membership in this. There is no sticker chart. And and I can't be better than anybody else. So I can't get any more grace than my brother or my sister or my spouse or my neighbor or my kid or my grandparent or my liberal coworker or my conservative friend from college or the holiness partnership guy on Facebook or the author of the latest clickbait book on Amazon. Like, I can't get any more grace than anybody. No matter how much you sacrifice, you cannot get more grace than the thems in the world. And that is really hard. And I know it sounds crazy, but I do believe that these things keep us from simply receiving the grace of God. It keeps us on this hamster wheel of sacrifice, clinging on to our life and our will, refusing to turn it over even though it's what's killing us. And then enters resentment. Resentment like the resentment that I felt turning my car around on Nolensville Road that day. See, resentment is a clear sign that we are living in an economy of merit and sacrifice and not an economy of grace and unearned love. Man, and I was just smacked in the face with that this week. (sighs) You ever get, I've got this next paragraph that I really believe that God has called me to say, and nobody's going to like hearing it. So if you will trust me that I am saying this in all love and that I count myself as one of the people that needs to hear this. See, Christians, we can be some really resentful people sometimes. We resent the world for being so worldly. We resent other kinds of Christians for not being holy like we are. And not having to work as hard at it as we do. We can resent the news for not telling us what we want to hear. We can resent our families for not being as perfect as we think they ought to be. We can resent our church for not helping us as much as we think it should. And we can resent ourselves for secretly struggling as much as we do. And deep down... If we are vulnerably honest, which we rarely are, we resent God. 
We resent God because we still think that it's God who has asked us to sacrifice so much. Friends, doesn't grace and unearned love sound like a much sweeter deal than sacrifice and resentment? And try that one more time. <laughs> it is a question that you can respond to. I know this is, this is hard still, but doesn't grace and unearned love sound like a sweeter deal than sacrifice and resentment? at the center of Trevecca's campus, just on the hill. If you've, if you've never driven onto the heart of campus before, maybe you come into the church and you haven't continued to drive down the road, maybe do it on your way out today. There is a statue of Jesus. And he's holding a towel and a basin. It's the picture of Jesus that we see in John chapter 13. Jesus preparing to wash the feet of his disciples. And below the statue are the words, go and do likewise. And for so many years, I saw those words, go and do likewise, as a charge to go and sacrifice more. Show how many feet you can wash in the name of Jesus. But now I hear it as an invitation to receive the grace of God. To receive the grace of God that so deeply transforms my soul. The grace of God that cares for me and my stubborn feet. The grace of God that I cannot earn or deserve no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I sacrifice. The grace of God that saturates my life and makes me a source of grace for those around me who are still living on the hamster wheel of sacrifice. And once, once we've accepted that, once we have accepted the unmerited grace and unearned love of God, once we get that, well then step three really is easy. We have some believers in our congregation who are preparing for baptism. And that means Pastor Isaac is about to bring our kids back in the room today. They, are preparing, they have prepared for baptism and are here today because God has done a work in their lives. And so today, as they are getting ready to enter the waters of baptism, really what we believe that baptism is, is a sign of grace. A work of grace. That it is the grace of God transforming us and making us into a new creation. And it's through something really simple like water. I mean water. It's so simple. Don't you think that we could have had a better sacrifice? But Jesus says this is all you need. It's through this means of grace, something so simple like water, that we are transformed and that is what our candidates have come and prepared for today, preparing for baptism, preparing to enter into the waters of God's grace. And I'm so glad that you have because the grace of God changes everything and it makes you a new person in Jesus Christ. 
In fact, after they're baptized, when they come up out of the waters, they're going to be receiving a towel. It was made by our very own Cameo Chill Cup. Where is she this morning? I don't see her. I'm not trying to, oh, there you are. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I just love these. It's a towel that I want to show you now because it says, remember your baptism. It encourages you to remember your bath. And you know what? You can use this towel when you go to the swimming pool or even when you take a shower if you want to. Every time, I know, right? Remembering every time you even get wet that you receive the grace of God that makes you a new person. Every day receiving that grace anew because I'm telling you what, I've been a Christian for a long time and every day I wake up, I still need the grace of God in my life. At the end of the service, then, there will be an opportunity for those of you that want to remember your baptism. Remember the grace of God that is still active in your life to restore you and to renew you, to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Before our candidates for baptism, I'm trying to see if I still see one of them. Where is Caleb? I'm missing him. Oh, there he is. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect timing. So for our candidates of baptism, you are part of our earlier part of the service. And so you remember that we said, like we say every single Sunday, that we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose again. He was seated at the right hand of God the Father from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church of Jesus Christ, the communion of, the, the communion of saints, uh, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead, and life everlasting. And so... I want to ask you specifically. I know that you say this week after week, but this morning I want to ask you. Kasha, Caleb, O'Neill, and Molly, this morning, will you be baptized into this faith? If so, say, I will with God's help. Amen. And next we ask, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And do you realize that he saves you even now? If so, say, I do. And finally, will you obey God's holy will and keep his commandments, walking in them all the days of your life? If so, say, I will with God's help. Amen. We are so excited to welcome you into new life in the family of God as a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so first up, Molly and Andrew, would you come and join us? Because she loves Jesus and wants to show the 
that she wants to follow Jesus. Molly says that her family, teachers, and her church help her show her how to follow Jesus. She loves Jesus and accepted him into her heart, and it makes her want to live differently, be kinder and caring. Molly has a love for God that is pure and determined. She has been asking to get baptized and is excited to take this step in her faith. Molly is an example and a reminder of God's love to her family. Our prayer for Molly is that she continues to grow and mature in her walk with God. We pray she will always love God with the pure love and faith she has today and will cling to Jesus no matter where life is. testimony of O'Neill Davis. Since I was an infant, my parents would take me to church where I would grow to learn about God's love for me. The more I learned, the more grateful I became. As a response to my gratitude of God's love for me, I decided I would get baptized. O'Neill Corey Davis. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Grace abounds, my friend. Absolutely. Amen. The testimony of Caleb Cruz. I was introduced to church at the young age of nine. It was at church where I learned about Jesus Christ and his unconditional love. Not until I became of age and became a father to O'Neill did I realize that I needed my Heavenly Father to show me how to be the best earthly father to my son, who I love with all my heart and am well pleased with. And Caleb, we have talked about the fact that your baptism as a young child, that there's still the grace of God over you and in your life, but you desired this today. 
In fact, you were longing for these waters to have a formal remembrance of baptism, remembering that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so we celebrate that with you today. So Caleb Cruz, would you remember your baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Kimberly Kasha McLaughlin. If you would come and just meet me right here. We are so grateful that you have become a part of the body of Christ here at Trevecca Community Church. You have been a source of joy and grace. It has been an honor to worship with you and to see how God has worked in your life. And so we affirm for you today that God has done a work in your life. And we stand with you today as you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so, Kasha, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Remember your baptism. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us on campus next week, we have discipleship classes beginning at 9 a.m. followed by service at 10.30. That service will be streamed to Facebook Live. We hope to see you there.